0: Hey, I'm Howard Kettner, and my guest today is the very wonderful Tammy Francoeur, owner and founder of Habitude, a place where individuals and families from around the world come to recover from substance use disorders, mental health disorders, and compulsive behaviors. Habitude is where transformations happen for folks like you and I that struggle with addictions, anxiety, depression, even anger and grief. In other words, those things that stand between us and our bigger, more fulfilling future. You know, I think it was a LinkedIn connection and a short subsequent telephone conversation that led to this podcast. Stay tuned because I know you're going to be as intrigued, impressed, and inspired as I am. Well, Tammy, here we are in person. And thank you for the tour of your wonderful treatment center. I think I'm going to refer to it as your boutique house of healing. I've got a hundred questions. But before you share some highlights of your journey with us, I want you to talk about a couple of really exciting recent developments for Habitude.
1: Well, I'm actually... Very honored to, to be sitting with you as well. Thank um, you. Some of the highlights for us: we started in 2005, and finally this year we got accredited. So in February of 2018, we're now accredited program with Accreditation Canada. Yeah. And we are uh, starting to open some doors up with Workmen's Compensation Board and nice. some other large insurance companies that are going to uh, now start to refer to us. So up until now, we were always sort of an accommodation for our employees. Uh, when they were looking for a specific type of program. And now I'm hoping that we'll be able to treat a lot more people.
0: Absolutely. What a wonderful step for the organization, you know, and I had a privilege of meeting some of your folks here just before we sat down for the podcast and uh, was really in awe of what for me seemed like a very intimidating and rigorous process uh, down the road to accreditation. But you have such a terrific team here. I mean, uh, you you graciously introduced me to uh, Christian, and Christian's role is really—I mean—in addition to his medical credentials, he's really your program director here. Correct. Yes. Yeah. And then uh, who was it? Lynn from Intake. I met.
1: Uh, Jen.
0: Or Jen. I'm sorry, Jen from Intake. Yeah. Yes. And uh, Kelly, Kelly, who makes sure that everybody flies in formation here and uh, that the infrastructure is in place. And then John, uh, your executive director, and uh, very, very impressive team. This is really special uh, in terms of this podcast because... uh, you and i are joined tammy by rasa lanu who rasa and i we've journeyed for 10 years uh, in my former life Uh, rasa was a distributor for some exclusive product offerings that we had in the employee benefits field rasa is the founder of gem financial and gem benefits and i'm going to turn it over to you rasa we both just enjoyed this tour what were your impressions? What, what takeaways can you share with our audience?
2: The first thing that I looked at when I, and I asked the executive director, I said, where do we stand here? How is this a large facility? Is this a small facility? And he turned around and he said, no, Ross, this is a boutique facility. And I just love that because I often think of myself as a boutique firm as well, and I know exactly what that means in that you are trying to meet a need that has been chronically unmet for so many years. And that sort of parallels the same experience I've had, of course, nothing compared to what you folks are doing, but it is so refreshing to see a program like yours. And especially when I see the, what it's called, uh, habitude, the habit and attitude, and how you implement that in, in a setting such as this. So I'm really looking forward to hearing a lot more about it and seeing how we can use the services that Habitude does uh, for perhaps our clients or have something that we can promote to our clients as well because we know that the need is there. It's just yeah, consistently unmet. Yeah.
0: Thank you, Rasa. And I think one of the things that our audience is going to be intrigued by is your approach to the treatment, Tammy. I mean, there's, there's a lot of treatment centers that somebody in need can access. And we're going to be spending a lot of our time on the positive. But in that initial phone call that I referenced, you stepped me through and you said some of the mistakes that uh, we often see in treatment centers are X, Y, and Z. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah,
1: I mean, honestly, I mean, when we started the program, a lot of it was from our own lived experience uh, as well. But we've also really listened to our alumni, our clients. We've asked them about, you know, their experience, what was different when they came to our program. We also knew, based on evidence of of science, of what goes on with the body when somebody's addicted to alcohol or, or prescription drugs or cocaine. And the biggest things that come up is that they're not stable. So they have no stability in their lives, they haven't been sleeping properly, they're not eating properly, they're not exercising, their heads are spinning, they have, you know, anxiety spiking, depression, you know, they're crashing, they're still trying to function at work, they're trying to run their families, Um, they have no emotional stability, sometimes they're having flashbacks of trauma from their childhood, sometimes it's uh, workplace trauma, and so stability is the thing that, that we know is essential for someone to start healing. And so if they're going to give up their drugs or whatever they feel is helping them to numb, then they have to replace it with something. And if they don't replace it with something that, that gives them that stability, they go right back to it. And so their experience a lot of times going into other treatment centers, which again are a bit different than ours, is that you know they have to kind of transition to a, a routine and so for them to even get up and go to group or sit down with a therapist, their bodies are, are, are raging right now, their, their minds are spinning, they can't focus, they haven't been sleeping, they're not eating, it doesn't matter what good would be thrown their way, they just can't wrap their heads around it. And physiologically, they can't stabilize their, their systems enough to give them the energy that they need. So what we've done differently is, is really focus on the stabilization, get them sleeping, get them eating, also to get their body kind of fixed up, tuned up, so that they can start to focus, they can have more energy. And now when their therapist or counselor or, or doctor or family member is sitting in front of them, they're actually present. You know, they may have a bit of anxiety, but they're actually clear how to And then they're more up to say, okay, what do I need to do? Because I haven't felt like this for a long time. But you've got to trade it off. At some point, you have to trade off the drugs for something that's good. And so, you know, the Habitude name is Habits and Attitude. And so you've got Got to start to to change the habits, change the attitude. And you're only going to do that if you support the body.
0: So your programs, I mean, three days, ten days?
1: The program, our shortest program is 30 days. We have 45, 60, 90. We even have clients here 120 days. It all depends on what the employer wants, what the family wants, or the individual wants. Every person is a different uh, situation. Sometimes financially, that dictates the amount of time they can be there. Sure. Sometimes it's commitments that are self-employed. Sometimes they've, they've got you know work commitments that they can't stay longer than 30 days. And then we have other employers that say, look, you know, Keep them there until they're stable, until they're actually working through some of their therapy, until they've actually uh, had more time to develop a discharge plan. Uh, Mm -hmm. So they can actually work with their maybe their unions, sometimes their HR people, find out what that's going to look like when they transition back to work. But the first 30 days, what we focus on is stabilization. We can add anything to the program that's necessary. Um, They can stay as long as they need to. But we also understand that that's not possible for everyone. So we're going to stabilize them and then work out a a plan that's going to reduce their their incidence of relapse.
0: You know, something that, I don't know if this struck you as well, Rasa, but uh, we came to visit your boutique home of care, and it's not out on 500 acres in the country.
1: No. No, and that's by design to be honest. Again, you know, we took a lot of information from our clients, families. Um, a lot of them would ex- you know, express to us that they went to, you know, some high-end programs. They went to programs where they were sitting by the lake. They were allowed to go golfing, play tennis, go swimming. You know, they'd get back home and then they would drive by the first liquor store and they pull in. they say they were like on autopilot. They would see that liquor store, it would be an immediate trigger for them, or they see the pharmacy, or they see a house that reminded them of their dealer's house. So when we chose a, a, a house for you know, them to heal in, we wanted it to be in the core of the city. We're not right downtown, uh, but you know, we're beside a church. Uh, behind us, we have a community garden. But when they go to the, the gym every day, they're going by liquor stores, pharmacies, you know, homes. Mm. Um, it's real. As well, you know, when you're dealing with program dollars... You only have X amount of dollars. So, you know, in, in our case, our program's $15,000 for 30 days. We can spend that $15,000 on programming, getting their bodies healthy. Or we right. can, you know, hire red show, I mean, seal chefs. We can, you know, uh, put it into pool chemicals. Yeah,
0: but, yeah, I didn't, but... I, I didn't see any chefs.
1: <laughs> or a pool. No, <laughs> but, you know, really what they're here for is to get healthy and to learn how to deal with boredom, to learn how to self-regulate, not to entertain them because entertaining them is kind of what they've done with the drugs or with, or with the bottle. Mm-hmm. You know, what we want to do is get them grounded, get them present, get them to start realizing what they really do need in life, what is going to keep them healthy, you know, what things, activities they need to incorporate with their life. But it's not necessarily to become, you know, for us to be their program director and or recreation director. We're not here to kind of keep them busy all day long. It's learning their life skills. Getting up in the morning, going to the gym, practicing self-care, cooking and nutritious meals, uh, learning how to even cook nutritious meals, you know, working in the greenhouse, doing some journaling, doing some Tai Chi, some yoga, some therapy with art. Just different things that they could do when they returned home that they could incorporate into their own lifestyle.
0: So what happens? i got to ask. Uh, you, you have somebody come in that has never cooked their own nutritious meal before.
1: Well, we take care of that. We have, <laughs> I mean, we've been fortunate. We've had a lot of chefs in the program, too, right? Okay. Um, so, but we've also had, you know, every Friday they have a like a cooking class, where they can learn how to, to make wow. cooking with basics. We have also have a binder in the kitchen that has some of the, you know, most favorite recipes and exactly what you need to do to make it. And we're not talking about going out and buying, you know, fine cuts of meat and, you know, needing shallots and everything else. We're, we're getting back to core, you know, clean eating, which is on any budget, you could afford it. Uh, you don't have to have, you know, great culinary skills. Uh, you just have to have the desire to want to put good things in your body.
0: So folks actually leave here with new skills, quite aside from dealing with addictions.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We've had, you know, a few of them that have signed up for chef school not to become chefs, but because they realize that it really helps them with their anxiety or it helps them to fill in some times when they're feeling lonely. So they, you know, will start to use cooking as a means of entertaining others or entertaining themselves. We've had individuals that, you know, never touched art since they were kids in school and started doing, you know, therapy with art here and recognize that it's very beneficial for their mental health. And so they'll start to go out and maybe buy some, you know, uh, drawing paper and they'll start to doodle again. And they'll realize that that's something that they really, really love to do. But unfortunately, when they became adults, they stopped doing it. Or they'll pick up an instrument. We have lots of guys that'll break a guitar and start to strum. You know, again, it's just fulfilling their times with things that make them feel worthy, that makes them feel healthy, that's good for their body and mind and, you know, it's, it's exercise. It's exercising the brain too. It seems to me that our medical system is designed
2: so that if something is wrong with you, you go in, stay in the hospital for two or three days, get the therapy, you feel better, you're out. Mm-hmm. Whereas under this type of system, you feel better you're going to start drinking again. Or if you feel better, you're going to start doing the drugs again. So here, it's taking you one step further mm-hmm. to make you feel better to be clean again, so right. to speak. And is that why that 30 days is so important? It takes, yeah, it
1: takes about, I mean, the brain, you know, even to, people say to change your eating habits takes 21 days, right? Mm-hmm. So you're talking about people who have really ravaged their systems. You know, they've drank in excess. They've used pills in excess. They've, you know, bought... Lots of cocaine. They've gone on three and four day binges, and worked. Right. That's what's so interesting. So you know, this is these are individuals that have been burning the candle at both ends. And unfortunately, what happens is is that you know to get through the acute withdrawals is only the first part of the brain saying you know I use this term and it kind of it's pretty raw but it's basically the brain saying to the body, hey stupid, I need what you're not giving me. So those acute withdrawals, the very first stages of acute withdrawal, are basically your body or your brain telling you that you're deficient in something. So you're deficient in the opiates, you're deficient in maybe in the serotonins, you're deficient in sugar. You know, a lot of guys who drink, they become hypoglycemic. So those acute withdrawals that go on are a lot of times the brain saying, you need to give me something because I'm craving it really bad. I'm going to get really sick if you don't. That will pass, but then you get into the post-acute withdrawals, which, you know, they say can last anywhere from a year to five years. So it's, it's a constant struggle. And that's just the body trying to repair its sick self on its own. And what we're trying to do is help that sick body repair faster so that you can actually have a fighting chance to stay sober. You can actually have a fighting chance to, you know, uh, regulate your emotions or have an honest relationships with your, your employer or have better relationships with your family.
0: Well, the, the, the more you go on about yeah. this, Tammy, the more I see uh, how clever and descriptive the name Habitude is right. for what it is you do here that's special and unique. I know, Rasa, you come from the art world. I don't know if you were expecting to see art supplies here.
2: I was delighted. And <laughs> that's the first thing I look at, is look at the walls and, and seeing all the artwork hanging on the walls and, and the design of the place is very... It's neutral, but it's also very personal. And and that, that's a very uh, interesting thing to see. I, I, I was also wondering, you're talking about the time, the 30 days, the 60 days, the five-year. There are outpatient
1: programs also that you're involved in is that correct yeah we do we will design an outpatient program what we find though you know again outpatient works for individuals who are stable and the reason why they don't work for people that are in active addiction and i know that you know say you know go see your counselor go see your counselor go see your counselor but again you know our our clients have told us they would go see their therapist they may have d- touched on something that was very personal, very maybe painful. They were returning home, so it was very natural for their car to pull into their dealers or into their you know liquor store or to take an extra two or three pills because they're 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 kind of left with the chatter going on in their own heads right that they're replaying exactly what they talked about with their therapist over and over and over again, and so l patient honestly. I believe it has a place. I believe it's utilized a little bit too much when you're talking about somebody in active addiction, because somebody in active addiction almost needs to be bubble wrapped. They, you know, they they are a harm to themselves sometimes, and they are a harm to others. They can put businesses at risk. They need to be in a place that understands how to get them to to move through those triggers. So, for instance, if somebody was having a session and and that chatter was going on in their heads, that when they come down those stairs they're still in an environment that understands that that's going on and can help them process it, help get, them get through it, maybe help them to figure out a way to, to deal with how they're feeling that's not going to put them at risk.
0: Well, and you deal with that head-on here during the yes. first week as your executive director was taking us around. Yeah. He was telling Rasa and me that it's essentially a digital detox as well. particularly. 100% during the first week yes
1: I mean the the guys are really struggling I mean you know there's always that pretense of let's pretend everything's normal so you know I want to go treatment but I want to have my laptop I want to have my cell phone I want to be able to do my business while I'm while I'm in treatment anything to deflect so these are all deflection tools right they they use all this stuff or I need to be able to take care of my house I can't go to treatment because who's going to take care of my home if you talk to their wives or their parents they haven't been taking care of their home for a long, long time. So, mm. you know, it's that, again, the outpatient works, but you need to have them stable. And once they're stable, you can build a beautiful outpatient plan where they see an addiction counselor, a therapist, or, you know, maybe gym is incorporated with their outpatient. But you've got to get them honest first. And you can't get them honest until they've had an opportunity to detox and think clear, to get focused, to get present and to you know what we talk about a lot of times is that they're always wanting you know somebody else to change their dirty diaper you know they're sitting in it all the time but somebody else is actually changing it for them and it's time for them to now start changing their own diapers so you know they have to realize that now that they're present they may have financial issues they may have relationship issues they may have work issues they may be getting demoted they may have lots of things happening because of their decision to go into treatment But now they have to deal with those things. They can't divert them anymore. They're going to have to, with support, they're going to have to deal with what does the fallout look like and how can I start to repair that. But they can't repair anything until they're in a place physiologically and and emotionally solid. You know, they have to be in a way that they can process it, regulate it and respond to it and stop reacting. So, you know, sometimes we do have their HR people come in. We do have their union reps come in. They will talk to them about what it looks like. You know, this is what's happened because of your actions at work. You're going to be demoted. You know, you may be on a, you know, last chance proposal. They need to finally, you know, get real with what this affliction has cost them. And then they may need to make a decision. You know, do they want to go back? that or do they want to build credibility again do they want to you know repair relationships a lot of them it's their self-worth they really want people to like them they want to be credible they may talk the talk but at the end of the day you know a lot of them are struggling uh, with self-esteem
0: absolutely and and that's the thing like when you when you talk about they they want to be credible they're not feeling confident and that's what I took away as you talked about Something simple like the cooking skills that you teach them here. I mean, they can go home with a new skill and that does something for confidence. That could be the corner building block for a new confidence. In addition to all of the uh, other things that you're doing, and again, I, I, I keep <laughs> circling back mentally to the art. It is, it is so powerful. And I'm saying that as somebody who can't draw a stick, man. But uh, one of my marketing heroes is a guy that I believe is probably one of the best marketers in North America, a fellow by the name of Joe Polish. And uh, I spent two years uh, attending his program for marketing. And uh, Joe wasn't always a marketer. At 18 years old, he was a crack addict. And his brother-in-law reached out and got him started in a carpet cleaning business. And Joe soon learned that he could sell carpet cleaning and preferred that over doing the carpet (laughs) cleaning. And he started this wonderful marketing organization. And he now uh, creates amazing marketing strategies for terrific firms. But he brings out into... A two-day marketing event and shares the art that he did when he was in an addiction yeah. center and how he was only able to express his innermost disgust with his bad habits through art. Yeah. And it's just amazing. And and he, like me, can only draw stick beds, so this isn't pretty stuff. It it only hangs on Joe's walls, but it's absolutely amazing. Can you talk to us for a a little bit about your, your target market? Uh, Who, who comes to Habitude? Who do you reach out to?
1: Well, I would say about 50% of our referrals are self-referred. Okay. And then of those, uh, about 50% of those uh, family members are health professionals. So it's kind of interesting that they either have a nursing or, or, or doctors themselves or counsellors and they specifically look for this type of program. And I think partly it's because they have the experience of what's out there and they kind of know, you know, what the, the pitfalls have been. And they have the other 50% uh, we work with employers. So we work with some very large employers. We work with some cities. We work with some small employers. Uh, some of the small employers don't even have HR people. They don't even have direct policy. So sometimes their owner operators they are they're calling for themselves. But our target market would typically be someone who's a key position or a valued employee. To replace that employee is expensive. Sometimes they've had a lot of tenure with the company. Uh, They've brought a lot of value to the company. They don't want to kind of throw them to the wayside. Uh, Sometimes as well, it would be for someone that maybe they've tried other programs with. And right now, it's more of a... They're doing the due diligence. They want to make sure that if they were to discharge this person, if there was a legal claim or whatever, that they've given them exactly what they feel that they need, and it's kind of a make or break. And those are those last chance proposals. So sometimes they'll say, look, you know, we've tried other programs. We want this uh, individual to have, you know, an opportunity to actually heal because they've been complaining about this and that, about other programs themselves. Uh, We're going to give them what they wanted. They want the Habitude program. They'll specifically ask for us. And we've done very well with them. I mean, the program is expensive. Well, I could see why. <laughs> well, it's not expensive, right? It's, you know, honestly, it's, I was talking about. In another, terms
0: of the value of uh, life. No,
1: Value of life and uh, return on investment is, I mean, $15,000 versus what could happen if you don't support that employee or what could happen if you don't support that family member. Families will pay rents, mortgages, car payments, debts, 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 debts. debts.
0: Without going to the root of the issue.
1: Right. And, you know, $15,000, middle-income can afford it, you know, it, it's, it's not uh, it's not out there. It's it's very um, value-driven. If you compare it to other programs, it's right out there. It's the
2: same yeah. you know, as it is in homeless or other programs in CAMH and Donwoods and other places. But also, it can also be covered through a health care spending account if the person has... An executive type uh, benefit plan, so that wouldn't shouldn't be a problem as well. But uh, also, you're hard to find, mm-hmm. and I think that's an issue too. And so, when someone has been looking, which is a good thing or a bad thing, I guess it's, right. it's a it's a bad thing in that you're hard to find. Right. But it's a good thing. So in that when people do find you, they go, wow, this is something completely different. This is something that uh, is worth a try for sure because we have, like you said, we have tried all of the other programs, what the insurance companies have told us to do or what our HR professional organizations have told us to do. But this we
1: found to
2: be completely different and that's why we're here too. Well, you
1: know, to be honest, for us... Because we're smaller, because we don't have the same spending budgets, you know, for us to spend all these marketing dollars, it just didn't make sense. Because you know we're small, you know we're we're, we are the boutique. So you know we'd rather spend the money on art supplies or on better quality clinicians. Um, That's where our dollars go. Our dollars go towards the program, and we've always relied on word of mouth. And you know it's it's usually a referral, and then becomes a referral, then becomes a referral. Have we been the best at marketing? Absolutely not. Like, hands down, we're horrible marketers. But hands, you know, down, we're the best authentic biopsychosocial program out there. There's, like, we're not even competing with other programs. There's nobody doing what we do. You
2: also mentioned something about rehab brokers. Yes. So can you just kind of Give us a brief description of that because that's the first time I've ever heard that.
1: Well, rehab brokers are individuals who are they're marketing experts. So they, they do SEO optimization. They spend a lot of time and energy creating websites that will are put out to the public. They usually are on the first page of Google. Families will find them and it will say this is a free resource, no cost. The assumption is it's government funded and it looks a lot like a government page. And it will list all the different programs available, but you'll never find Habitude there. And the reason why you won't find Habitude there is because we won't pay the commissions. And again, I've lived the experience. So if I was a family calling and I called and said, what's the best program to go to in Ontario or in Canada? They would say, you know, it's this program. It would never be Habitude. And it's because that program may have said, look, I've got three beds available. I'm going to up my percentage. I'll give you twenty percent to fill my beds. Again, because we come from a place of lived experience, you know, you're dealing with a vulnerable public. And if somebody's recommending our program to someone, I want it to be because we are the best program for them, that we're a good fit. I don't want it to be because somebody's taking, you know, three or four thousand dollars as a commission check. We're not a consumer goods. You know, we're dealing with human beings, and. You know, for the families, they're very naive. They're very vulnerable. They're desperate. They're desperate. They're desperate. And, yeah. and ultimately, you know, they will take somebody on the phone saying, this is the program to go to because they think, oh, this is fantastic. You know, I've been told to go to this program. We've had guys in the program that say they've been to some of those programs and they'll ask, you know, how did you get here? And it's always the same name that recommended them. But it's not ever, they're not a health professional. They're not an EAP. They are rehab brokers. But in Ontario, they've outlawed them in in the States. But in Ontario, they're rampant. And in Canada, it's not against the law.
0: Wow. But now, folks can find you at
1: Habitude.ca. Yes.
0: I love your website. Oh, thank you. And I want to go back. Three or four minutes ago, you said something, and now I'm intrigued. You said, we're doing this because of lived experience. Yes, There's a story there.
1: Yes. Well, my husband, uh, John, who's our executive director, is in recovery himself. So he's been in recovery for 14 plus years. And myself, uh, I've been in recovery the same amount of time. Because when I was back in 2001, 2002, we had two small children. My husband was a financial planner. I worked for a large company. I managed across Canada. I knew when I married him, he had baggage. But I didn't realized this baggage would kind of come to surface, and I was naive to drugs. I didn't know a lot about drugs, and so when I found out that he was addicted to cocaine, I really didn't know what to do. I knew that he was a survivor of sexual abuse. I didn't realize there was a connection between the two. I I didn't even understand that people who have had trauma are higher prone to substance abuse or misuse issues, right? So uh, at the time, I was trying to do my, my job, manage, you know, Two babies at home, and also um, get him to uh, acknowledge the drug problem. Eventually, you know, I ended up having to kick him out because that was what was safest for my children. And for 18 months, he pretty much lived, you know, in and out of houses, uh, mostly drug houses. And um, I learned through the school hard not So I remember making that call to CAMH. I remember making the call over and over to CAMH and getting my call back six weeks later. And I mean, when you're desperate,
0: uh, KMH being?
1: KMH Mental Health. Got it. So okay. it's it's a lot of out, outpatient resources and things like that. But unfortunately, it's consumer-driven. So when you're a family calling in, they really won't direct you. I mean, I needed someone to say, stop enabling. I needed someone to say, this is how you look for it. I, I needed direction, and I didn't have that. So long story short, I had benefits. I had the means. Uh, I was still banging my head against the wall. I thought, what do I do? And and meanwhile, I'm trying to manage across Canada. So, John was in the act of addiction, but I'll tell you, I wasn't present either, and yet I was working this job with big responsibilities and two kids at home. So, rolled the clock ahead, you know, when when John uh, finished treatment, and it wasn't a great treatment, uh, but it was treatment, we realized there was lots of families like ours. We had Mm -hmm. kind of met other families, we knew people in the industry, you know, people, once they know you're dealt with this, they start to disclose to you about situations they were in. And it was really John, actually, that said, I want to help people. So, you know, it started small, you know, build it mm-hmm. and they will come. But we knew that kind of what was out there, we wanted to do much better. So we hired Smarter, as he was telling you earlier. You yes. Know, we didn't think we had all the answers, but we hired, you know, a good team of doctors, a good team of therapists. We listened to our alumni. We asked a lot of questions. And we ask, what, what is it they need? Like, what is it that they need to help them to heal? And so, as I mentioned, we've been around um, 13 years. We've always been learning, so we're never stopping to learn. We're always implementing something new. You know, a couple of years ago, we did the neurofeedback, you know, sound therapy. We're always looking to introduce new things because we're that small that if it's something that's really beneficial to our families, we can do it. Right. We don't have a lot of red tape. And without the benefit or the encumbrance of uh,
2: government funding. So right. you're not OHIP funded. No. But that's a good thing too. Yeah, we chose that. But also, coming back to the very beginning, you are accredited, which yes. is amazing, which is great. Yeah,
1: Yeah,
0: yeah that is absolutely fabulous. And... Tammy, that story of yours, my, my eyes are actually wet after that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm tearing up. I mean, that's an amazing, amazing story, how you took your life situations and... Uh, Created solutions so that others can learn from your experiences. And I think of the folks in my life, I mean, you must have some amazing stories from folks that you've seen how they turn their lives around and, and their families. And what's so interesting, I find, I think one of the most interesting things I've learned from you is that there's high functioning addicts.
1: For sure. Yep. We've had police officers, pilots, scientists, doctors. Master electricians, uh, people doing sensitive jobs. We had a gentleman that I talked to, but on the phone oh. a while back, where you know he was a in a very high position for money managing for a bank.
0: Oh, great story! Yeah, <laughs>
1: and while he was in treatment, he had to call his secretary and say, "You know that you no know, case of Gatorade that I've got under my desk? You need to get rid of it like pronto." It was filled with vodka. I mean, that's how he functioned. But he was
0: sipping on Gatorade at his yes. desk as far yes. as anybody else was yes. concerned. I mean,
1: I have lots of those stories. I mean, police officers that say, look, you know, I drive two hours to go and pick up because I can't do it in my community, right? So many stories, like life or death, where they've been, like, so lucky. You know, they've had overdoses and someone's been able to pull them out of it or... They've woken up, you know, having a seizure on the middle of their floor. And, you know, I remember one family where his wife was a nurse and, you know, she happened to come in back home. She wasn't planning on coming home. She came home and he was having a seizure on the kitchen floor because he had drank antifreeze. He was trying to detox and create, and she got rid of all the alcohol. And so, you know, he drank some antifreeze. And thankfully, she came home. Now, this guy was high functioning too. And I told you the story earlier about a guy that was an engineer. He does not remember the first week he was in treatment. And yet, honestly, Howard, he looked like you. He was so clear-headed when he walked in the door, we thought, does he really have a drug problem? And he, of his own accord, said, I do not remember my first week in treatment. I was on autopilot, and I've been on autopilot for a long time. So these are people working day to day, looking after children, driving vehicles. I mean, they're lucky sometimes they haven't hurt themselves or hurt somebody else. A lot of them end up in hospitals. We had, you know, a gentleman that you know nearly severed his tongue, having a seizure, who thought that maybe he didn't need treatment. You know, yeah. so sometimes they need families, they need employers to kind of hold them accountable too, right? Because they are at risk of hurting themselves and others, but they also deserve an opportunity to get healthy again. You exactly. know, to change those patterns, to, to replace those negative habits with some positive habits and to not feel so depressed all the time and not feel so angry all the time. I mean, every guy that walks in the door is resenting something. It's nice to actually, you know, leave feeling gratitude.
0: Well, you have this wonderful boutique house of healing <laughs> and Brassa.
2: I'm just astounded at this place. I think it's a terrific place, and it makes me realize that everybody has a story, and even in my work, too, and in our work, Howard, we can't assume anything. Every time we see a client or a prospective client, we have to sit and listen and realize that everybody has a story, and some of these stories are just jaw-droppingly amazing or shocking. And a lot of these, like you said, very high-functioning people are living in dual universes for many years, not for two years, not for 10 years, maybe 20 years. And so to offer them a window out is wonderful. And if it's something that we can offer uh, our families or our friends or our clients, I I think it's great. I'm very happy to be here. I'm really happy. Yeah, this is great stuff. It really Tammy. is.
0: And thank you, Tammy, for sharing the stories. Thank you for having John take us through the uh, house of healing. Yeah. And mm-hmm. what really impresses me, though, is both Rasa and I come from businesses that, in addition to having the opportunity to create wonderful stories and a bigger future for our clients, much of that is driven by really solid processes and disciplines. And so we're going to wrap this podcast here, but I'm really looking forward to sitting down with John because, as he described just before we got onto this podcast, stage one of what you do here, stage two of what you do here, stage three, which takes us right to prevention so that we can take the measures necessary to prevent a recurrence. I was in awe because, again, I have so much respect for good process, mm-hmm. yes. and what you do here is very process driven. So you absolutely. can replicate success over <laughs> yes. and over yes. and over again. So yeah. thank you for this uh, time. Yeah. I'm so grateful that you reached out. Here's with a two thumbs up to LinkedIn and the uh. power of that, and just uh, and yeah. sitting here today. And thank you, Rasa, for joining thank me. This is right yeah. in your backyard here, but I'm, I'm just so grateful to have you jump in thank with you. Tammy and me. Yeah, no, it was awesome. Really enjoyed it. Hey, whether you're wearing the hat of benefits advisor, employer, manager, spouse, or parent, I'm hoping that what Tammy just shared with Rasa and me was of value to you. I just want to take a couple more minutes to share what those of you of my vintage would recognize as broadcast personality Paul Harvey's byline. You know the one. His voice would deepen and he'd say, and now for the rest of the story. Here's the deal. In my previous life, I had two very talented folks at a senior level that I relied on every day for years. Over time, I noticed what I believed to be behavioral changes that I put down to job stress or family issues, you know, the day-to-day stuff that we all deal with. In addition to recurring, increasing workplace and absence, one of those folks ended up costing me an important supplier relationship, and it was years after both of these folks departed the organization that I learned of their addiction and dependency issues. They were, in fact, addicts with a very high level of responsibility, and ability, and functionality, until they weren't. This conversation with Tammy really hit home, and caused me a whole inner conversation of coulda, woulda, shoulda. If only I had had even a small portion of the knowledge that Tammy Francoeur just shared with us, that would have been a game-changer, in terms of my awareness and probably the outcomes for both of those individuals I just mentioned. So share this podcast. It's as easy as inviting someone to go to iTunes and search for Benefits Genius or going to your search bar and typing in Benefits Genius backslash podcasts and sharing out that link. One last thing, we're not done with this subject. In an upcoming podcast, My guest, Dr. Raymond Rupert, talks about applying the principles of neuroplasticity in the treatment of substance use disorder and how the brain can change its form, its function and structure with behavioral change and by thinking differently. Dr. Rupert's perspectives will be a wonderful supplement to what you've just heard. So stay tuned you definitely don't want to miss it.